are listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Footprints on Our Hearts. Today I have another solo show for you, so it's just going to be me talking and I've just got a very quick intro before um, before we get into the episode. And today I'm going to be talking about my experience of pregnancy after loss. And this is um, an episode I've been meaning to do for a while and I've kind of put it off a bit, partly um, because I didn't really announce or go public with my rainbow pregnancy until just a few weeks ago. And also, I kind of wanted to wait until I was quite far along in my pregnancy. So I, I kind of had, I guess, as much of the experience as possible to share with you. Um, before we get started, I wanted to mention that we have another big kind of uh, I guess anniversary this week and actually on the day so the day I'm recording this is the one year anniversary of Sky's due date so because Sky was born early she was still born at, at 26 weeks so there's quite a separation between sort of her birthday and, and that day we kind of remember as the the day she was born or the day she died, the day she died and the day she was born and the day which we were due to be expecting her. And I remember when I was pregnant last year, desperately hoping that she wouldn't be an early baby because I wanted a September baby <laughs> and I didn't want her to come early and be an August baby. And oh gosh, all those thoughts just feel so oh, unimportant and inconsequential now, don't they, really? And it's also the first anniversary of the day we scattered her ashes. So we decided probably not long after she died that um, we would go and scatter her ashes on the Isle of Skye at a place that's kind of quite special to us on the island. Um, and I... I was quite convinced about that and convinced that the kind of the due date was, you know, that was a good day. It was kind of a good way to remember her. And we planned a, a kind of short trip up in our camper van for, for a few days. But as the day got closer, I got more and more reluctant to let her go, I guess. It felt, yeah, it felt really hard, the thought of, of, losing her again even though you know we wanted to set her free we wanted her to kind of fly on the wind um, and be in this beautiful place it was still a really kind of tough decision to make um and I you know I think if you have your child cremated and you you're kind of mulling over these decisions you know there's there's no right and, and wrong time um to do this I think you know we we took that decision to do it perhaps a little sooner than some parents um and you know I'm glad we did it was it was quite hard and literally up until up until the moment um 
up until the moment we did it, I was still a little bit unsure, but I'm I'm glad we did, and I'm glad you know we we still have we still kept a bit back to kind of remember her by. Um, yeah, so today feels a little bit of a a bittersweet day in some ways. Um, I think it's obviously definitely helped by the fact that we're pregnant again, and you know we're hoping hoping to welcome Sky's little brother or sister into the world um, in a few weeks, not too long to go now. Um, so really, our heads are kind of quite full of of those kind of last minute preparations and planning, um, which also makes me feel a little bit guilty for perhaps not spending more time thinking about this day or celebrating this day in some way. So anyway, that was just me rambling on a little bit before we get into the episode. But um, yeah, those anniversaries always come hard. And I can imagine it's going to be harder in future years because it's going to coincide with those Back to school memories, which I'm sure many of you have been kind of struggling with this week. Um, the thought that, you know, perhaps this would have been the year that your children would have started school or even just looking at what school year they would have been going into. And I think that's, you know, that's one of those things that doesn't really fade with time. Okay, so I haven't really got anything else to talk about in the intro today. So I'm going to get straight into it and give you a bit of an overview of my experience of pregnancy after loss. So I'm going to start off with um, our journey to getting pregnant after Sky died and what decisions we made around that and then go kind of go through in a linear fashion through my pregnancy. So we decided to wait a while, um, not a huge amount of time, but um, certainly, you know, I kind of wanted to wait at least sort of six months or so before we started trying again after Sky died. I think I was really clear that I wanted some time to grieve her. I didn't want to move straight on to thinking about another baby. I wanted some time to kind of come to terms with my grief, come to terms with what had happened, um, to make sure that we'd done all the investigations that we could and needed to do, you know, to, to get to any kind of root cause of why she died and anything that would impact on a future pregnancy. And I think mentally, for me to be in the right place, I knew that pregnancy after loss was going to be really hard and a bit of a roller coaster. So I wanted to make sure that kind of I was in a quite a good position or at least a good a position as I could have been um, before before embarking on that journey. That said, I also didn't want to wait too long. Um, I think partly because I was conscious of my age. So I'm 36, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I have to remind myself I'm now 36. <laughs> so, you know, while that's that's not old, old. It's it's definitely kind of the clock is ticking anyway. And I was also really aware that even though we'd been super lucky in terms of getting pregnant quickly with Sky, you know, that wasn't always the case, uh, even second time around. And, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people on this show who've struggled with secondary infertility, and that was always at the back of my mind as well. Um, so we we kind of waited, we got the post-mortem report. And then a few months later, I found out about the Rainbow Clinic that Tommy's run. 
Um, so this is a clinic which is run in Manchester by Professor Hazel, and you can self-refer to it. Um, I think you have to go through or get a referral from your bereavement midwife or, or GP. And it's for it's to support um, couples who are looking at having a, a rainbow pregnancy and through their rainbow pregnancy. Um, so we booked a, a preconception appointment there um, just to have a bit of a chat through Sky's postmortem report to see if there was any other advice that he could offer us and really to understand what support they might be able to provide. Um, so we turned up in Manchester on a very rainy winter's day. And I have to say that, you know, of of all the doctors I've met, Professor Hazel is amazing. And, you know, everyone I've spoken to who has met him um, also thinks he's amazing. And he's very much in demand now, I think, you know, um, he is very knowledgeable and very supportive and really kind of understands the impact of baby loss. Um, so we didn't, you know, we didn't find out a huge amount of new information from that meeting. He did advise us to have, um, there were a couple more kind of blood tests, which we hadn't had um, after Sky's birth, which he suggested uh, we book on. But apart from that, his suggestion was to get on with it, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Um, so, yeah, so we we kind of took his advice with that. Um, and we were very, again, very lucky. Um, we got pregnant very quickly. Oh, wait, my pregnancy. Um, yeah, I, I was obviously delighted and, and very amazed. But that that moment of finding out we were pregnant was, was a bit of an anxious one. Um, so as I mentioned, we'd been to this rainbow clinic and uh, been suggested it had been suggested that, that we have this additional blood test, which was to test for a condition called antiphospholipid syndrome, which is an autoimmune condition which can cause blood clots. And I'd had the blood test a week before, and I got this call from my doctor. I remember it was on a Monday, and he called me up and he was like, oh, so we've had your test results back and one of them's come back as positive, um, indicating that I had these particular antibodies. And he went on to explain that um, because of the way the blood test works, the antibodies can be in your blood for other sort of short term reasons. So before they will really diagnose you as having this condition, um, you need to have a second blood test in three months time. Um, so I kind of got off the phone to him and kind of dropped an email to Professor Hazel, um, sort of saying, oh, we've had this blood test. You know, what what do we do? Should we stop trying for a baby? Um, and his suggestion was basically to wait for three months, get the results of that blood test. And then, you know, we could make a decision in terms of, uh, you know, it, whether or not um, I had that condition. However, um the next day, I took a pregnancy test and it came back positive. Um, and I'd actually had a bit of a suspicion the previous week that I might be pregnant, but then I had a bit of a bit of spotting over the weekend, a, a bit of sort of darker blood, and thought, "Oh, that's probably the beginning of my period." Um, but then, when it didn't amount to anything, I sort of thought, "Oh well, maybe I maybe I will just do the pregnancy test." And yeah, it came back positive. So, well, you know, I was obviously incredibly excited and delighted 
I also had this massive fear around, well, what does this mean in terms of this blood test? And, you know, do I have this condition? Do I not? How, what do we do with it? So there were a few kind of frantic emails to, to Alex Hiesel, who, bless him, was amazing and got back to me very quickly. Um, and, you know, a couple of phone calls from my doctor. Um, and the the upshot was, was that um, we decided to treat me for APS um, and have the blood tested three months and, and just really take things from there. So I think that was you know, it was reassuring to kind of have have a bit of a path forward in terms of that. Um, although obviously quite anxious about about what this might mean for baby, because essentially, you know, it, it can cause clotting. However, it is treatable. And I mean, I, th- I think if there's one thing that I'm grateful that we went to the Rainbow Clinic for was that we found out about this, because if we hadn't, we would never have known, I would never have known about APS, I would never have had that test. Um, and, you know, we've now obviously gone past that three month period, my second blood test, which I had came back negative. So it's most likely that I don't have it. However, because the test can be affected by pregnancy, um, you know, I've decided and, and sort of in consultation with our consultants have decided that, you know what, we're just going to carry on with the treatment for now, wait until baby's born and then have the blood tests, you know, once those pregnancy hormones are out of my system and redo, you know, redo them essentially to find out. The good news is that it, it you know, it the risk of um, blood clots and issues can be significantly lowered um it means taking blood thinners through pregnancy so um i'm currently on both aspirin and heparin so daily heparin injections which i have to admit i was pretty much um i was i was dreading that because i'm really not a fan of needles and honestly you people who are going through you know ivf and, and fertility treatment i really take my hat off to you um yeah I have got used to it now, but certainly those first few weeks um, of taking that, I really struggled. So other than that, um, slight anxiety towards the beginning, the, the kind of the first trimester went okay. I had some usual pregnancy symptoms, um, I, I guess kind of reassuringly normal pregnancy sy- symptoms. So, you know, I had the nausea, the exhaustion, um, I wasn't actually sick, Um I just had, you know, quite bad, quite bad nausea, which is which is quite normal. I can't really complain too much about that. I think from a mental perspective, I had very much, to be honest, I was expecting a miscarriage. I think I think that was my my kind of protective mechanism for this pregnancy was I'm not going to get my hopes up just yet. Let's see how it goes. Let's take things a day and a week at a time and even though I tried to kind of control my anxiety it was definitely there in my subconscious because I found myself you know when I'd be going out for a walk or in one of those situations where your thoughts just tend to tend to just go off and think about different things my thoughts would always go to okay well if I had a miscarriage in this situation what would I do or if I had a miscarriage in this situation what would I do? And at the time I was, um, so I'm an author and I was do, trying to do some work on on a book, which, and a, a lot of the time I go on walks to 
think about uh, my story ideas and to and to sort of figure out plot, plot, plot problems and get over them. And I I got really frustrated because I just found myself completely unable to do that because whenever I was in a situation where my thoughts had time to um, to kind of wonder, all I would think about would be different situations in which my baby had died and whether that was miscarriage or stillbirth or or whatever. Um, and I and I found that quite hard to kind of let go of. And I did do you know tried a couple of exercises in terms of letting go of worries and anxieties, which which sometimes helped and 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 sometimes didn't. I also <laughs> um, I also ran a half marathon in my first trimester, and I used the term run very loosely. Um, and it was when I was around seven weeks, um, and it was. It was a half marathon that I was doing to raise money for Tommy's um, in memory of Sky. So when I found out I was pregnant, I immediately had this thought, oh, gosh, should I cancel it? Should um, you know, should we not do it? But I really, really wanted to go ahead with it. You know, it wasn't I think I think because it was for Sky, you know, I didn't want to feel like I'd kind of abandoned her just because we possibly had this new baby on the way. So I decided to go ahead and I just I, you know, I it was it was a tough half marathon, but I took it really steadily and just kind of listened to my body, um, and yeah, and and it kind of went okay. I was glad it wasn't a week later, <laughs> but I managed I managed to get around, um, not in a particularly fast time, but but it was fine. Um, and then the other thing that kind of happened during during my first trimester was lockdown and COVID-19. So I guess my whole experience of pregnancy after loss is is perhaps not a normal pregnancy after loss um, example, because it's been pretty much under the shadow of COVID-19 for almost my whole pregnancy. Um, And I was, I think I was around kind of nine or 10 weeks, perhaps, when we went into lockdown in the UK. And immediately that was that was a new anxiety that hit um because at that time I think it was still in those early weeks we didn't really know how the virus would affect pregnant women there was all the kind of chaos of lockdown we didn't know how it was going to impact the wider world um you know there were all these reports coming out of out of Italy about how devastating it was how hospitals weren't coping and yeah and I think you know, I found that a really anxious time, but primarily because of the pandemic, I think, rather than, um, you know, necessarily um, my pregnancy. That said, um, the restrictions at hospitals immediately kicked in. So, you know, my husband wasn't able to come into any of our scans from that point, pretty much onwards. Um, And certainly, I think, of all the scans I've had, those the first couple of scans, so particularly that that sort of dating scan around 12 weeks, was one of the most stressful experiences in this pregnancy. Um, I remember masks weren't compulsory then. Staff weren't wearing masks in hospital. You know, they didn't have any of these screens and things up. Um, and I, so my, my husband actually insisted that I wear, you know, mask and gloves and, and go in. So I, I kind of gone in and I was sort of sat on this chair and I, kept, I was kept waiting for a while, and I, you know, I had a blood test as well, and I was really shaking at that point. And I just, 
you know, I think obviously that there is scanxiety is definitely a thing with pregnancy after loss. And I think particularly perhaps those first scans, um, you know, when you can't feel baby moving, so you have no idea, you know, whether they are actually alive in there. And, you know, you just want someone to tell you that there's a heartbeat and it's okay. Um, And having to go into that, you know, on your own without, you know, your partner, um, it's it is it was a really stressful experience. Um, fortunately, everything was okay. We got the got the kind of all clear from that, um, and that was a huge, a huge massive relief. And we kind of started settling into lockdown life, I guess, as we moved into the second trimester. And I wanted to mention at this point something around you know, when we kind of told people we were pregnant, because when I was pregnant with Sky, we deliberately didn't tell anyone, not even our families, we were pregnant until after we'd had that first scan. And I think, again, I was just a bit paranoid about something going wrong, which is ridiculous. And I know now that it's ridiculous. So, (laughs) you know, it's not going to jinx anything or affect anything. But that was how I felt at the time. So we waited until after that first scan to you know, reveal the news. Um, This time was a little bit different. um, Because I kind of had that anxiety around having the pregnancy test and the positive blood test around the same time, I kind of immediately felt like I needed some support. So I I actually told a couple of friends of mine, um, who I kind of contact or message pretty much daily, quite sort of pretty much that week and was like, Oh, I'm in this panic you know, I'm really stressed about this. I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and that was really helpful just to be able to tell someone about it. We then told our sort of parents and families after we'd had an early scan at seven weeks. Um, so just to, you know, make sure that there was a baby there. It was it was all fine. Um, so, yeah, so we told them a lot earlier. But then we didn't tell people for a while. And certainly, you know, a lot of our um a lot of our friends didn't find out until pretty much the third trimester, actually. Um, and I'm not quite sure why that was. I think I think I just kept having coming up with excuses to kind of put it off a bit longer. It's like, well, we might as well wait for the 20 week scan just to check everything's okay. Then we'll get past that 26 week point. And we had a few issues then, so we were, yeah. Um, and then I got to the third trimester. I was like, well, we probably do need to tell people now. And um, even then, we didn't, you know, we didn't do a public announcement. And I think, I mean, I think this is a, a decision that's different for everyone. You know, I I have a friend who is, you know, due in a couple of weeks and, you know, hasn't really told anyone um, that she's actually pregnant. And you know what? That's totally fine. If that helps you to get through your pregnancy, you know, you do it. Because at the end of the day, it's your baby, it's your body is your right to take that decision you know you don't owe anyone else that information you have to do whatever you can to protect yourself during this really difficult time and um and if that means not telling people at all until baby's born then then that's fine um and i have to say that probably lockdown that has been one of the advantages of lockdown is that you haven't had all those kind of uh, meetups with people or conversations where it's quite obvious that, you know, you've got a growing bump on the way. So moving into the second trimester, um, I think 
big thing for me and a massive thing for me in terms of my anxiety was when I started to feel baby moving. And I think this was partly because um, even though I'd felt Sky kick and felt her move, she'd never really been much of a kicker. And it was quite late. Um, well, it probably wasn't that late. I think it was it was maybe around sort of 21 weeks when I first started feeling kicks from her, but it felt quite late. Um, and even though I wasn't worried about that at the time, because I knew, you know, often first babies, you don't really feel them till a bit later. I was getting kicks. I didn't know what pattern of movements to expect because it was my first baby. Um, looking back on it now that, you know, in this pregnancy, that was quite a source of anxiety. Um, because, you know, I needed to be able to feel those kicks to know baby was moving. And I think it's really hard, those kind of, the, the sort of first few weeks when you're starting to feel the move, you're starting to feel those little flutterings, little kicks, um, but they're not quite regular enough to really reassure you. <laughs> um, and I think that was definitely the main one. I had a, a kind of a few, a few jittery moments and kind of, had to talk myself down, um, you know, sort of say, oh, well, you know, it's probably fine. And I think the the attitude I took at that point was, even if it's not fine, there's nothing, there's nothing that they can really do about it. You know, baby's too small that even if something was wrong, if they were born, you know, they, they wouldn't survive. And I think that helped me. I mean, that's quite a negative attitude, I know. But I think that helped me get over some of those those days when I didn't feel baby move um, and I was feeling a bit anxious about that. We also, during the second trimester, had um, an additional scan. So following our appointment with Tommy's in um, Manchester, we then got referred on to a clinic in Leeds, which is a bit closer to us, in fact, a lot closer to us, um, to visit. And that's when, and there are now rainbow clinics in hospitals all over the country. So even if you're not near Manchester, there may be a hospital near you who runs this clinic. And I cannot speak highly enough of um, of the support I've had from them through this pregnancy, it has really been amazing. So the Leeds Clinic is run by a fetal medicine consultant called Tracy, and the bereavement midwife at the hospital who is also called Tracy. And I think just having that level of specialist support from people who understand what you've been through, and you know, they they kind of know how to approach the scans. They know what your anxieties are going to be. Um, and really, you know, all the kind of information I've had from the consultant there, from Tracy, has been very factual, very straightforward. You know, she's not tried to sugarcoat anything or be overly reassuring or under reassuring. She's always been straight down the line and told me things exactly how they are, which I find massively reassuring because there's nothing I aim more than doctors who are overly reassuring and you're like are they really patronizing me you know I, I'm smart enough to to know or to want to know actually what the situation is um, so that support has been fantastic so we had a scan there at um, just over 15 weeks um, which did show not a problem, but a possible issue. Now, the other advantage of this particular clinic um, was because it's a, a bigger hospital than 
the so I'm currently at two hospitals. I have the hospital which I'm hoping to deliver my baby at, and then I'm having these additional scans at Leeds Hospital, which is a bigger hospital. Um, and she, as a fetal medical medical uh, fetal medicine consultant, she is able to do additional scans um, which show the blood flow both in the uterus and in baby. Um, so normally that the hospital I normally go to, they they only really do a blood flow scan from sort of 24 weeks um, or 28 weeks onwards, which looks at blood flow in the umbilical cord. Um, whereas she was able to kind of scan my whole womb and, and look at all these different measurements. And, and again, for me, particularly given, you know, the reason for Sky's death, which was probably due to placenta, that was massively reassuring. Um so, yeah, so there was a minor issue that came up on that scan, which was that there was some resistance on one of the arteries. Um, but, you know, the advice was, well, it may be something, it may be nothing. We'll have another look at uh, 22 weeks. Uh, most likely, you know, that that resistance will have gone and things will be normal. Um, if it hasn't, then we can deal with it then. So we kind of went away feeling reasonably reassured for that. Um, we had our 20-week scan, um, which was fine um, in terms of everything was looking great with baby. Um, the only thing that came up was that my placenta was low-lying. So it wasn't completely covering the cervix, but it was close to the cervix. Um, and I think this was also around the time of Sky's birthday. So this was around the end of May. And there were a couple of events that took place that week, which I found really hard. And I think, you know, I may have talked a bit about this on the podcast episode I did um, about, about Sky and my experience with her. Um, so the first thing was finding out about this low line placenta, which you know, is really, I mean, it's not something that I should have worried about, but I did because I really didn't want to have a cesarean section, um, you know, and that's not against anyone who, who chooses to have one or ends up having one. It was just, you know, I felt quite strongly, or I feel quite strongly that I wanted to, you know, I wanted the opportunity um, to at least try to have um, a natural birth experience um, and, you know, I wanted the opportunity of that. And it felt it felt like a bit of a annoyance to just, you know, be told, oh, well, you know, for every other reason, you're fit and well, but because you've got this low-line placenta, we're going to have to, you know, take baby out uh, through and have an, an, an abdominal birth. Um, and I really shouldn't have worried about that because, you know, in most of these cases, the placenta does move up and it has moved up. So it is now uh, now well out of the way. But that was definitely on my mind. And around the same time, my sister-in-law actually gave birth to her first child, which was an amazing relief, I think is what I can describe it as. Um, because I felt like I had kind of a lot of pent-up anxiety around that. I kind of almost felt more worried about her than I did about me, I think, because obviously I have no control over her pregnancy. Um, and even though everything had gone fine in her pregnancy, as we all know, you know, even though things go fine, sometimes bad things happen. Um, and it, as it turned out, her daughter was born on the same day or the anniversary of the day that we think Sky died. And I think that rush of relief, 
emotion around, you know, Sky's death and being a year on from that, the kind of just having had the 20-week scan and all these things basically catapulted onto me and I became a complete emotional wreck. I think I, you know, this grief literally was racking my body in a way that it hadn't really done since the kind of those really early days of of grief when it's all overwhelming and all encompassing um and honestly I just let it all out because I knew it kind of had to come out um and that was you know it was a good thing um and actually I think those you know those were the hardest days in the lead up to Sky's birthday and actually um kind of getting a lot of my grief sort of process during those few days meant that actually Sky's birthday wasn't wasn't as bad as I dreaded and was actually quite quite a nice day um so the next sort of milestone we crossed was the growth scan so this was one which I definitely had in mind um because I was so I knew that you know obviously Sky had had um issues issues that hadn't been picked up on the 20-week scan so she'd shown us as fine on the 20-week scan but um I always had at the back of my mind during this pregnancy that well if we had had a scan at 24 weeks with Sky would things have been different and I know that they probably wouldn't have been but there's always that niggle so I kind of approached that with with a fair bit of trepidation um and this was I think it was actually, I think I was just before 25 weeks when the, the scan was scheduled for. Um, so we went in and the growth scan was fine. Baby was looking okay in terms of growth. However, we got referred to the consultant because we had high PI readings. Now, I've become a complete expert on umbilical Doppler, umbilical Doppler readings since. Um, but just to explain um, for those of you who haven't been through this, what it is. So essentially, so at the growth scan, and they don't do this, I don't think, for, for sort of routine pregnancies, but because we were having a growth scan, um, as well as checking baby's growth, they also check the blood flow through the umbilical cord. And there are a series of readings for that. And the higher the reading or high readings, um, so if they're over the kind of 95th centile, that indicates that there's some resistance to blood flow in the cord, which can be down to a number of factors, but I think is most commonly a placental issue. So it's an indication that something possibly might be wrong with the placenta. That said, it's very, very common to get the odd abnormal reading um because particularly at that gestation it can be affected by you know you breathing baby moving around baby playing with the cord so our consultant the consultant we got referred to is was quite reassuring he kind of said well you know you've got these readings that because it's above the trigger level we'll, we'll refer you to leads um to, to the fetal medicine unit um but it's probably just a one-off it's probably just you know baby being a bit cheeky today and playing with the cord and we actually had um a, an appointment booked at the rainbow clinic at leeds for the following for a few days later anyway so um so we went along to that um and honestly i, I pretty i was pretty relaxed about it at that point i was like okay so is this an issue but probably not it probably is just you know baby being being a bit of a troublemaker in there but when we went along to our appointment at the rainbow clinic um those readings were still high 
And this was, uh, yeah, so this was quite a winning time. So again, I was going to these scans on my own. Um, so my husband, bless him, has come to every single one of my scans, and there have been many, and sat outside in the car and waited for me, <laughs> um, which, you know, uh, has been amazing. And I, I don't know who it's harder for, honestly, me or him, because, you know, he's sort of sat there not knowing what's going on. You know, if I'm delayed going into the appointment and, and seem to take a while, and obviously he starts getting anxious about that. Um yeah, and not being able to be there. So it has been really, really tough on him. Um, so anyway, what what we were told at that point was, well, okay, this could go one of three ways. Either the readings could come down, which we hope they will. They could stay the same. And sometimes they stay the same all the way through to, to term. Um, and that shows that there's, there's probably a placental issue, but it, it's, you know, if it's not affecting baby's growth, then we, we just keep going. Or the readings could go up, in which case that's um, that's a bad indication. Um, or there could be other signs um, that baby is compromised. So that could be um, sort of signs of growth restriction, growth reducing, um, or what they call absent and diastolic flow in the cord, which is effectively where where the blood flow is is stopping and and being actually restricted, and that's is a sort of imminent sign of, of danger, pretty much. So because we were at this early stage, um, you know, our consultant told us all these, or told me, um, this is what this is what could happen. And all we can do really at the stage is to monitor and to keep an eye on these readings. So I was immediately booked in for twice weekly scans um, to check the Doppler readings and a growth scan every two weeks. And that continued for a while. Um, and I think, I mean, obviously, so this happened around the same gestation that we lost Sky as well. So it did feel a little bit like maybe history was coming back to repeat itself. Um, but honestly, my, it's really bizarre. But that week after we found out, I was probably one of the calmest weeks of my pregnancy because somehow I, my, my attitude was and my approach to it was, okay, maybe something will go wrong, but I'm going to make the most of whatever time I have with this baby. You know, I'm going to make the most of every day, every minute. You know, I'm going to do all these bonding things, which I've been saying I'm going to do for weeks. And then work's got in the way or life's got in the way. I'm going to actually get on and and do those. And, you know, and I was trying to think positive and kind of basically convince myself that baby was going to be OK. We were going to be OK and we were going to get through this. And, you know, obviously there was there was definitely some subconscious anxiety and I was probably pushing that down, which then kind of came back later. But um, but it really did help me cope with that news that we got. Um, and over the next few weeks, the readings continued to be high, but they didn't go up. There weren't any growth issues. And really, that's kind of been the case pretty much up until up until where we are now which is the sort of middle just over the middle of the third trimester um and oh, it's bizarre I think we had a couple of weeks 
in the middle, perhaps in July, when the readings seem to be going down a bit. They dropped below that 95th centile and growth was looking good. And my consultant suggested we went to weekly scans, which by that point I was massively relieved about um, because actually twice weekly scan sounds great in terms of reassurance but it's actually it's really stressful or I was finding it stressful um partly because of the time it took up I was effectively taking a day out of my week my work week um and then trying to catch up that time around you know all these different appointments um but also I think that the kind of the scanxiety element came in and for me I didn't get massively stressed or anxious in the run up to the scan, but I would almost always have a cry afterwards. That was just my, I think, again, just that release of tension and anxiety after the scan um, would hit me at some point later that day. So in terms of my kind of emotional roller coaster, you know, having those twice weekly scans when things were seemed to be pretty stable. you know, I found quite difficult. So we had a nice few weeks, um, a nice few weeks off those scans. Um, And then the readings sort of went up again, and we went back to twice weekly. (laughs) Um, But that that is just how it is. And I think because we had that kind of that news around sort of week 25, 26, that also kind of led me to stick my head in the sand again, in terms of the fact that we were actually, you know, preparing to have a baby and bring a baby home so up until this point and up until 28 weeks um we hadn't really bought anything we hadn't I think I'd booked on to some antenatal classes but we hadn't attended any antenatal classes we'd as I mentioned earlier we hadn't really told people other than the, the people we told quite early on um and yeah, I think uh, despite the fact that I was clearly, you know, I had I had the bump, I had everything, everything was growing. We were having all these scans to to see baby. I was still in a little bit of denial that we were actually going to have a baby. It was also around this time, um, sort of around that kind of transition to the third trimester or just before that lockdown began to ease, and for me that wasn't actually really the relief that I think it probably was for most people. Because by this point, I got quite used to my lockdown bubble. And I felt quite safe in it. And actually, the thought of seeing lots of people of, you know, going out into society again and being around people, um, when I was approaching the kind of third trimester, and that kind of perhaps slightly more vulnerable stage was I found actually really really scary. So to be honest, we haven't really done much of that. We've kind of stayed pretty isolated. It was nice. We did get to see our parents for the first time. Um, but again, socially distanced, you know, I, I haven't had a hug for my parents since about week nine of my pregnancy. Um, you know, that I know it can probably be annoying when you're pregnant and people kind of want to come up and rub your bump and you feel quite protective of it. Um, And, you know, I'm sure I would have felt that this pregnancy, but, you know, that hasn't even been an option, really. Um, And I do kind of feel that probably our parents have missed out on some aspect of of kind of my pregnancy because of that, that situation. And obviously, you know, they're very keen to make sure that we're following all the social distancing regulations, that, that there's no risk there. 
So, yeah, I think that definitely affected that kind of time at, at this sort of towards the end um, of that second trimester, beginning of the third trimester. What our break from the twice weekly scans did enable us to do was to get away. Um, we had about a sort of five day trip in our camper van up to Northumberland and South Scotland at the end of July. And it was much needed, really really needed just to get away from work, from life, from all the kind of worries and anxieties that have been going around and just relax a bit and sleep. (laughs) Definitely, um, definitely had some sleep to catch up on. Um, So we were really lucky that because we got the camper van, we we were pretty much isolated when we we went up there anyway. Um, Again, we kept our distance from people, even though lockdown had, had eased by this point. And we had a really nice sort of few days away. Um, It didn't feel long enough. And, you know, we came back and then we were back to reality and back to the, you know, the third trimester. And quite honestly, my experience of the third trimester so far is that time has flown. It really feels like someone has taken that clock and wound it up and it's spinning around and and literally whizzing past. Um, It's, yeah, it's, it's quite scary how uh, how fast things are going, and we you know we had a couple of very busy weeks where we had antenatal classes, which were all done online, as well as the the hospital appointments, and we started having to think about what we needed to get, what we needed to to bring baby home, and I think overall, sort of during my pregnancy, I, I kind of think of perhaps the second trimester is my kind of my happiest time perhaps or my at least my least anxious time because I think we got through we got through the the sort of first trimester and the sort of once I once baby has started kicking so I guess perhaps the second half the second trimester you know yes we had this issue but we were being really closely monitored really well looked after um and you know having all the support we needed from from that perspective and so I had these reassuring movements showing me that baby was okay, but we were far enough from actually the reality of, of birth and bringing baby home that I didn't really have to think about it. And to be honest, I found the last, well, the last month and particularly last few months, last few weeks, quite overwhelming. Um, and I think, you know, I think for a long time, certainly, once I got to that kind of third trimester stage, I started focusing on the birth and that felt manageable. I could sort of read up on hypnobirthing, think about how I wanted my birth to go um, and sort of feel like I was preparing for that. Um, But now my kind of anxiety over, you know, the birth has now transferred to what happens when we have to bring baby home and how do we keep this small person alive? Um, and I feel like I am running out of time. Um, so I am still working full time and actually working quite full on at the moment. Um, you know, we're trying to, to make sure we've got these things needed for baby because we left everything to the last minute. We are now rushing all those preparations. You know, we've been painting the nursery, um, kind of meeting up with, with friends to pick up stuff which they've kindly donated um, or loaned us to to use 
and trying to get my head around, you know, what's going to happen and prepare for the birth and also trying to get my head around the fact that hopefully we will, you know, be bringing a baby home with us this time. Um, And I wanted to mention something else here, actually, which may sound a bit strange. It may sound a bit crazy. I don't know, maybe it is, but it's something that I found really hard. And that is actually the moment that my baby is born and placed on me. So that that kind of first moment of skin-to-skin contact. And for most of my pregnancy, I haven't actually been able to think of that moment. And when I have thought of it, I have been completely overwhelmed with emotion. Like literally, I have started crying. And I don't know if that's because it's just so unimaginable or it's me kind of imagining that feeling of relief, which I'll get at that point. Um, I'm not really sure. And yeah, I don't know. That might sound really crazy, um, but that is, that's how I felt. And I um, I can I can do it. I can think about it now and not cry, um, but usually only in short periods. <laughs> so for maybe 10 seconds or so. And then I have to kind of, yeah, change my thought process. Um, the other thing we kind of got hit with um, in in the sort of third trimester a few weeks ago was a change to our original birth plans. Now, um, I think also with Sky, I was induced, um, as most people are with stillbirth. And although my, my birth was probably fairly straightforward, um, there were elements of it that I found quite traumatic. Um, and I think in particular, the fact that I hadn't been able to prepare for it at all, because it was so early on, I hadn't done that preparation. Um, so this time around, I really wanted things to be different. I really, and I know everyone wants this, but I really wanted to have a positive birth experience. And for me, that was going into labor naturally, um, trying hypnobirthing techniques to kind of, you know, minimize the the amount of pain relief which I needed, uh, thinking positively about it and hopefully, you know, having a very kind of natural experience. I wanted to try a water birth and um, all those things that you want, that a lot of people want, you know, when thinking about pregnancy. Um, but because of the fact that we've been having these high uh, Doppler readings and um, the advice we've been given, and, and of course, it's always a choice, but you know, in the situation of pregnancy after loss, you 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 don't ignore advice from consultants and you don't really push back on it. Um, so the advice we've been given was that we would probably need to be induced early um, and that I would need constant monitoring, so by the CTG, um, which would probably mean that, you know, a water birth might be out. And that was... That was quite hard to get my head around initially. There was definitely a bit of grief there, I think. Um, You know, I already had this grief over not having, not being able to have a normal pregnancy, both for the fact that it's pregnancy after loss and also about the fact that, you know, my pregnancy's taken place during, during lockdown. You know, I haven't been able to have any, you know, there's been no pregnancy massages, no, um, you know, no kind of seeing friends for lunch, catching up in those final weeks, you know, all the things we had planned to do as a couple, you know, the holiday we'd planned to go on as our kind of last holiday as a twosome, um, you know, the date nights we wanted to go out on, none of that has been possible or, or happened. Um, so there's definitely, a, 
you know, a bit of loss and grief around that as well. Um, so it took me a few weeks to kind of come to terms with the fact that, okay, you know, my birth might not be the ideal that I wanted, but I can still have a positive birth experience from that and kind of trying to really reframe what I think of as a positive birth experience. And I'm actually really grateful that that my consultant raised that quite early on with me because it's given me that time to, to get my head around it and to really plan and, you know, think about what this second induction experience might be like and what I can do to prepare myself for it and and make it as relaxing, ideally as relaxing as possible. Um, so whether it will turn out like that, who knows, because I'm, you know, I'm not naive enough to expect that all births go perfectly, but I'm I'm trying to do all the preparation to to put myself in the best possible position for that. Um, and yeah, so I think the yeah, and I think I've definitely had a shift in attitude around birth this time around. So it was quite interesting when um when I went in to give birth to Sky, my attitude going in was, okay, this is an experience to be endured. We are going to get through it. We are going to get out of it. You know, you're a strong woman. And I kind of approached it as if I was approaching an ultramarathon, <laughs> which again might sound a bit crazy. Um, I was like, I had all my snacks ready. I was like, I've got my psyching playlist, psych tunes, you know, there's really motivational tunes that will help me get through these contractions and push. And I'm just, you know, just going to do my best and and get through it. Um, and I think there was certainly that created a certain amount of adrenaline, because obviously, if you're preparing for a race, or any kind of event like that, you have a surge of adrenaline that, that kind of comes through you. And what I've learned since is that, you know, adrenaline is possibly the worst thing you want when you're giving birth, because it kind of, um, it's a barrier to having that oxytocin that helps relax you, helps your kind of hormones and endorphins flow and, and can make things feel a little bit more manageable. So certainly my attitude this time is to try to relax as much as possible and teaching myself to relax because, you know, I'm kind of a type A personality. I find it quite high. I often don't take time to relax. I find it quite hard to relax a lot of the time. Um, So it is definitely a skill that I've been trying to cultivate um, and really trying to reduce that adrenaline and anxiety as much as possible. Um, so that pretty much brings us brings us up to date. Um, it's pretty scary how little time we have left. Um, I definitely still have some anxieties around kind of thinking of this as a reality um, and thinking about, you know, I think probably the normal fears that every parent has around, you know, caring for a newborn baby. How will I cope? You know, will I get postnatal depression how am I going to feel afterwards in terms of you know in terms of Sky's death and what should have been or what could have been um you know am I gonna compare this baby to Sky I don't know um I guess I'm just prepared for all these overwhelming feelings to hit me at some point and yeah I guess I just 
try and go with the flow and and see what happens really so I think just to kind of wrap up this episode um I was trying to think of some kind of tips I guess for for coping with pregnancy after loss and it's it's quite difficult because I think everyone's experience just as everyone's experience of loss is different everyone's experience of pregnancy after loss is different I feel like actually I've been generally been less anxious than I thought I would have been um you know I did have visions of myself kind of going into the maternity assessment unit every few days and demanding that they that they do a scan or find the heartbeat and you know I have been in once or twice um just when I've been having a bit of a bad day baby hasn't perhaps been kicking as much as normal and I just needed that extra reassurance of someone telling me yeah they're okay it's fine and I do appreciate that because I've had all these frequent scans I mean I have been you know going into hospital twice a week for a good part of a good part of my pregnancy um then that has you know mitigated that kind of need to to have that constant reassurance because I have had that reassurance um albeit that's had on the flip side you know there has been some sconsiety there um which I have struggled with and um and in particular the kind of the the additional loading and time of that you know the time that all those appointments take take out of your life um and that has been pretty tiring too um but in terms of tips I think I think this is this is an easy one to say and it can be quite hard to do but this is what I've tried to follow is to take each day as a time and try to enjoy every day as much as possible when I went into this pregnancy I really wanted to take the attitude that whatever happened with our baby I was going to try and enjoy the time which I had with them, whether that was 26 weeks of having them in my stomach, whether that was 37 weeks of having them in my stomach, whether that was bringing them home or whether that wasn't bringing them home. I still wanted to have some happy memories of that time. Um, So I've been trying to, and I know that's easier said than done. And some days, you know, it's been hard. But I think if you can, at least the days when you're feeling like you can enjoy it, enjoy it and make the most of it. And then, you know, those days when you're really struggling and you're fearful and you're anxious and you're full of grief, just accept that that those are crappy days and you just have to get through them. It's a bit like grief. You just get through to the next day. Um, I think my other big tip is don't be afraid to ask for what you need from your healthcare team, whether that's doctors or midwives. And, you know, I appreciate that um, the support you get varies massively across the country. And, you know, I've been exceptionally lucky to be able to get the additional support from this Rainbow Clinic um, and and from a fetal medicine specialist. Um, You know, I've been seeing her pretty much weekly since we found out about the problem with the with the Dopplers and and she has been absolutely fantastic and I know that has helped reduce my anxiety um I know not everyone has access to that however if you feel that you know having a second opinion on things might be helpful then you know it is worth sort of contacting perhaps your local hospital seeing if they run a rainbow clinic or getting in touch with Tommy's in Manchester and seeing if you can get referred there but generally, I think, you know, 
at the end of the day, even if you find it hard to stand up for yourself, you also need to stand up for your baby. And if you're worried about something, um, if you want an extra scan for some reason, if you want extra midwife appointments, just ask. At the end of the day, the worst thing they can say is no. They're probably actually unlikely to say no. You know, if it's a reasonable request, um, they're unlikely to say no if they know your history and, and the circumstances. And particularly, you know, if you're struggling with mental health and anxiety um, around that, then then often people can be quite sympathetic to that. Um, so, you know, rather than just sitting there and worrying about it, if you feel like having a couple of extra appointments would help, or even just going into the mater- your local maternity assessment unit and asking them to check, check baby's heartbeat, um, you know, put you on the CTG machine or whatever it is for a while, um, it might feel like you're putting them out, but if it helps put your mind at ease, even if it's just for a few days, then then that's sort of really important and helpful thing. I think, as I mentioned before, prioritise you and your baby. It doesn't really matter what other people think. Um, you know, if other people say the wrong thing or you get angry at them, well, maybe cut yourself off from them for a period. Um, you know, it's all about protecting you and protecting your your baby. You are the most important people during this time and quite frankly everyone else's demands can wait and I know that's easier said than done because and I definitely have been guilty of not following my own advice on this score several times and quite a lot of the time perhaps um during my pregnancy but you know I do feel like it, it, it is really important you know you've got this super important job if you're ever feeling guilty about you know, not being able to do something, not being able to go somewhere or, you know, meet someone's demands, just have a look, have a look down at your, your bump. Or, you know, if you haven't got a bump yet, just hold your belly and remember that you're doing it for them. And, you know, hopefully this will be your, your rainbow baby or um, a rainbow baby. And yeah, and that you're going to get to bring them home afterwards and you need to prioritize them. Um, so I think that's those are my I guess my top three tips. <laughs> I would love it if um, if you've listened to this and if you've uh, got experience of pregnancy after loss or you've got tips of your own, I would love it if you could comment on the post I will put on up on Instagram for this episode. Or if you're not on Instagram, just let me know and I'll maybe read out some of the tips um, next week. Um, just so we can really kind of share share some of the support. Um, Oh, my other tip. Okay, I have four tips. I should have written this down, but clearly I've not prepared for this. Um, So my fourth tip is if you can find other people in your situation. So I I have found it quite hard not to be open about my pregnancy on Instagram. And, and, you know, that was just a decision I took because of the nature of this podcast. Um, But I have found the SANS forum quite useful. They have sort of specific trimester threads you can join. Um, And I've also been really lucky enough to meet a couple of people who are also, uh, when I say meet, I haven't actually met either of them in real life. We just message on WhatsApp a lot or, you know, Facebook, um, but who are also pregnant at the same time. And you know, I think it can be hard when friends and family don't understand how hard pregnancy after loss is. 
Um, but having someone you can talk to or message who does understand really makes a world of difference. You know, you can have these moans without worrying that you're sounding like a, you know, a grumpy old woman. Um, you know, they really understand, you know, where you're coming from, what you're going through. And, and that for me, you know, has been a massive source of support um, through my pregnancy and has, has been really helpful. And, you know, you know, sometimes you have to seek that out. So, you know, whether that is um, through the Sands Forum, whether it's through someone you know already, whether it's through reaching out to people on Instagram, um, you know, who are also posting about their experience, then I would definitely, you know, encourage you to do that if you're currently pregnant after a loss. And, you know, feel free to to reach out to me. I have to say I have been taking a little bit of a step back from Instagram um, just because, I've also found that I I need to sometimes take a step away from the baby loss community at the moment just so I don't become overwhelmed with it. Um, but I will try and get back to messages as soon as possible. Um, and I, I will definitely reply. It might just take me a day or two to get to them. So that's pretty much all I have to say other than, well, we're keeping our fingers crossed we're not taking anything for granted, but we or I am really grateful for every day that I've had with this baby during this pregnancy. I'm grateful that I managed to get pregnant. I'm grateful that I've been able to carry this baby. Um, and whatever happens, I will always have that gratitude. But hopefully, you know, fate willing, we will have our rainbow baby and be bringing them home soon. So I hope you've hope you found this episode useful um, or interesting. Um, if you have, please do let me know. I always wonder, you know, how helpful these solo shows are, or if you just want me to kind of keep on interviewing people and, and listening to different experiences. So if you do have any feedback, please do let me know. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com. <laughs>